I love being a part of a church that is so mission-minded with their focus on the world around us locally and then the world globally with our partners that we want to resource and support. I love this church so very much and I'm excited to continue the conversation we began last week in our series of Hebrews. We began this section in chapter 3 last week and we're going to continue in chapter 4 this week and it's one of Hebrews' warning passages. And so if you missed last week, I would encourage you after today to go grab that because that's going to fill in some dots of where we land today. But it's a passage that we find in Hebrews that warns us about missing one of God's great promises. And there are several of these warning passages through Hebrews, and we want to pay attention to them as we journey together through this book. But here's a question for you. Are you a person that appreciates warnings, or are you a person that simply turns your ears off and ignores them? You might say it depends on what kind of warning it is, and it depends on who's telling me what to do. So for example, I do appreciate, you might say, a warning from the meteorologists of an impending snowstorm that's going to shut down the state. Or I appreciate the warning from my doctor who evaluates my labs and gives me a warning of things that might be coming up in my health. But the CDC and their audacity to tell me to cook a steak to 165 degrees? I mean, I'm not barbecuing beef jerky. I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to cook it to 133. I'm eating cookie dough with raw egg in it because it's good. There are all kinds of warnings. Some we listen to, some we don't. For those of you who are using Q-tips these days, and you've just ignored a warning on the back of the box. It says, do not stick this in your ear. You're like, I bought this to stick in my ear. So there are some warnings I think we do pay attention to and some that we completely ignore. The warning here in Hebrews is one of those you just don't want to ignore, which is why we flipped our services today. Because I want to fill your mind and your heart with God's word and give time to reflect and then worship him being filled with the word today and space to reflect on that. And so you don't just hear and then disappear back into your regularly scheduled events today. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. I, I will read in English what Yari and Roth read in Spanish. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 1 is where we find this warning. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, if you're here last week, we talked about this rest and how the people of Israel failed to enter God's promised rest in the land of promise because of their great rebellion. We looked at Psalm 95, which is our window back into the Old Testament, where we looked at Numbers 13 and 14, where God had brought out a people of slavery. 
had delivered them from bondage, displaying his presence and his power and his provision and gave them a covenant and called him his people and brought him to the precipice of his promised rest. And they took their eyes off him. They rebelled against him. They tried to seek other leaders that will lead them back to Egypt. And God's wrath and anger burned against them. And as a consequence, they returned to the wilderness for 40 years. So that that generation that came out of Egypt, that saw God's mighty works, that heard all his messages, would die in the wilderness. And a new generation would come. Their children would inherit the promised land. And so when we turn this quarter to four, looking at their example of how they failed to receive God's promised rest, the author says, therefore, like, there's a reason I'm telling you this, Christian, is because you don't want to miss it. You don't want to be like Israel and miss it. So in this chapter, there are three things I want to look at to continue what we talked about last week. What is God's promised rest? How, do you, how does someone miss his promised rest? And how can you have the confidence knowing that you have his promised rest? Does that sound good? Three things. What is the promised rest? How does someone miss it? And how does someone have it? The first is, what is this promised rest? He's talking about salvation here. He's talking about the promised land. What is this rest that we're warned not to miss? Well, look here in four. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, it still stands. There's a promise for us today that we can actually enter. And so it's not just wrapped up in a past event that we missed it, but it still stands. And so let us fear. I mean, like, let's get serious about this. When we're afraid of something, our attention is locked in. We are all in. We're not, we're not distracted. We're not, we're not just like letting our minds water, wander. When we are afraid of something, zeroed in. So the author is saying, zero in here. Zero in here. That there's a promise that still stands for us that we can actually walk into. Look at verse 6, 7, and 8. Since therefore it remains, this promise, for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So what is this rest that he speaks about? Well, the author tells us it's not just wrapped up in the promised land, in a past event, in a place that we don't live. This promised rest that ultimately these things are pointing to applies to a future event, a better promised rest than even the promised land. The rest that God's really talking about that he wants to bring you into is something Joshua spoke about even though he brought the people of Israel into the promised land. He spoke about a day that was still coming for God's people to enter. 
And David, who lived in the promised land, who's quoted here, living in the promised land, says, even though we're here, there's still a rest to come. So what is this rest that the author is speaking about, that God is promising? Well, he defines it as Sabbath rest. He almost like make, he actually makes up a word here to describe God's rest as Sabbath rest. And he defines the rest for God's people that God provides from Genesis chapter 2. Look back here at verse 4. The author says, For he has somewhere spoken, this is Genesis chapter 2, of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So if we want to know what ultimately this Sabbath rest is, the author says, go look at how God rested on the seventh day in Genesis chapter 2. So what should we do? Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. So flip in your Bible all the way to your left. We'll spend a few minutes here, and then we'll come back to Hebrews with great relevance and insight. Change your life, okay? Genesis chapter 2 concludes the creation narrative that will then sort, will soon be recapitulated in chapter 2. But it's the seven days of creation. And if you look at chapter 1, after each day of God's creation, it kind of it puts a period on the day. So at the end of day 1, it says, there was, and then there was evening and there was morning on the first day. And then there was evening and morning on the second day. And then there was evening and morning on the third day, fourth day, fifth day. All the same. Evening, then morning. God creates, then evening, then morning. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then there's no mention of morning, then evening, period. There was Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, God rested from all of his work, and that was the seventh day, and it was called holy. And then creation lives out of the seventh day. Is that then Adam and Eve are then kind of like zeroed in here on a lens of being created, that he creates man and puts him in the garden, creates woman from man and puts her in the garden, gives them work to do. And it actually says that they're married, that two become one flesh. And at the end of chapter two, it simply says, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. It gives this picture of what Eden was from God's Sabbath rest. That Eden existed, that men and women existed, living in existence from Sabbath rest, in Sabbath rest. What is this Sabbath rest? Maybe I would just define it this way. It is the unobstructed joy of living in God's good reign and rule. That's what Sabbath rest is. Is that Adam and Eve are the first humans to experience rest of God. It is the unobstructed joy of living in the good reign and rule of God. And what you know about Eden is exactly that. That man and woman knew everything about each other. So they were naked 
And there was no shame, no division between the two, no awkwardness, nothing of, oh, well, he doesn't really know this about me or she doesn't really know this about me or about my past or my desires. No, they know everything about each other. And there's no shame. They're at rest with one another. They're also at rest with themselves. There's no guilt living within them. They're at rest within themselves. They're also at rest with God. Genesis tells us that they would walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. There was no fear of drawing near to God. They were at rest with God. And then they had at rest with creation, that they were called to be industrious, to bring forth the world's resources, to cultivate and grow this beautiful place. Work was not frustrated. And so what you see is a picture of God created, God created, God created, and then he rested. It means he filled his creation with his presence with his rule and his reign, his dominion. And then human beings lived out of perfect harmony with God, with one another, within oneself, and in creation. This is the picture of God's promise rest. And it lasts for three chapters. And the, and the humans rebel against God. And what is fractured? the rest. And so God comes calling for Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve know they're naked now. They have guilt and they have shame. And what are the, what's the first thing they do? They hide from God. That doesn't sound like a restful relationship anymore. They're now hiding from God because they're not at rest with themselves because they know what they've done is wrong. And then God says, who ate this tree that I told you not to eat? And what do they do? They blame each other and they blame the serpent. That's no longer rest with one another. She told me, the serpent gave me. And so God frustrates, the curse is this, that this rest is frustrated, that the marital relationship is frustrated, that child rearing is frustrated, that the work cultivating is frustrated. It's not at rest. And so God begins to promise that in his goodness, he will restore what is broken back to what he intended. So the promise of God's rest that still stands today is a future rest in which Jesus Christ comes and restores back to the world what was lost, is perfect rest, the unobstructed joy of living in God's good reign and rule. Now just picture how good this rest is compared to the restlessness of our world. Think of your home, for example. Would you say your house is a place of rest? Like, do you go off to work and get beat up in the world and you think, I just want to return home back to the people I live with because these people know me. They know everything about me. It's a place of rest and respite for me. Or do you come home and there's like division between husband and wife, between parents and children, between grandparents, extended family, in-laws. Maybe you extend that home and you think about Thanksgiving that could be, that's coming up in a few months. When you walk into this place, do you think this is a place of rest or is it restless? I know for many of us, we walk into a place in Thanksgiving, we think, okay, I'm gonna give you the ground rules. Nobody knows you changed jobs yet, so don't bring it up. 
People don't know that we're struggling in our marriage, so don't say anything. Also, don't tell Aunt Judy that her cake that she makes every year is moist. She hates the word moist. She'll lose it if you say the word moist. Okay, so you sit around the Thanksgiving table like on eggshells like, what do I say? What do these people know about me? What do they not know about me? Do I say this? Do I not say this? Was I told not to say this word? And you're eating this cake and you're thinking, Aunt Judy, this cake is so hydrated. It's so good. Because we're restless in all these relationships. And so just make our heart crave, long for, desire what God has promised to whomsoever wants it is rest and respite. The joy that we experience in his good right rule and reign. That's what's happening. And so God calls a people, Israel, and he puts certain things in their mind to remember this Sabbath rest. One of the things he does is in their journey in the wilderness, this is Exodus 16, he calls them to set aside a day called Sabbath once a week that they would remember that God is the one who provides for all of their needs. That they would turn their minds not onto themselves and the kingdom that they're building, but remember who God is and the kingdom that he's building and the kingdom that he's bringing in, the promises that he has promised. And so in Exodus 16, he tells them, okay, I'm providing all this food for you every single day. On the sixth day, gather twice as much on the sixth day. Not on the other days, but on the, on the sixth day, gather twice as much so on the seventh, you don't have to go out and gather food. Because I want you just to rest. What are you resting in? Well, you're resting in his provisions. You're resting in who he is, in his goodness and kindness. And so take a day and rest in it and tune your attention to who I am and think about that I am promising to bring a restoration of Sabbath day rest from the created order. Then he brings into a place of promise with Joshua, this land. This land will also be a sign for you that I'm going to bring you to a place of rest. And as Joshua brought the people into the promised land, it says that all of the enemies were subdued and the land had rest. This was another marker that was pointing people to a future rest that God would bring ultimately, which is his full salvation to restore our relationship back to God, our relationships with one another, our relationship within ourselves and relationship with creation, that we will eternally live in his Sabbath rest. That's the rest we're longing for. That's the rest we're looking for. So go back to Hebrews chapter four. So the day still stands today that some can enter this Sabbath rest. Now it's not ultimately realized on this side of eternity, but it can begin, it's inaugurated by the work of Jesus Christ. So how does someone miss the Sabbath rest, specifically in the family of God or in the congregation of God's people? We should be more specific. We'll look back at verse four. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. 
for we who have believed enter the rest. This is what he's saying. Okay, look at the people of Israel that were coming up to the promised land. It, they heard the message. They heard from Moses. They saw what happened at Sinai, but it did not benefit them. Though they were present at all those moments, it did not benefit them because, you see what, why? Because why? Because they did not unite what they heard to what they believed. They did not unite the message that they had heard with faith to believe, but in disbelief rebelled against God. So they did not take their hearing and apply it to their believing of faith. That's why they missed out. And so this is what the warning is to the people in the church, is are you a person that loves to be here? The messages are nice. The music is great. I love how this community is focused on the community around us and even the world. You might call it philanthropy. You love being part of this community. But you've never taken what you've heard and unite it to saving faith. Notice this whole time I haven't said, how does someone lose this? But how does someone miss this? We miss it when we're around this message of the gospel, but we do not unite it to believing, saving faith. So what do I mean by that? It means that even the demons believe, Jesus says, and they shudder. So what does it mean to have believing, uniting faith? It's this. It's the person that hears the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down from heaven to earth and died for our sins. He took the death upon himself that we all deserve and now he has transformed it because he has been victor victorious over the grave that whomsoever believes in him would have eternal life. And that uniting belief in Jesus is this, that I believe, yes, that he's the son of God. I believe, yes, that he died for my sins and rose to new life. And so therefore I have confessed my sins to him. I have repented from them. It means I turn. Repentance is this idea that I would rethink the direction of my life. I would return to God this direction, saying no to something and yes to someone. And in my repentance then, I ask the Son of God who is victorious over the grave that has forgiven all of my sins to be the Lord of my life. That's the difference between the, the demons who believe and the children of God who believe, is we say, Jesus, forgive us. And then I want to live into your rule and reign. I want you to rule and reign over my life. You're the Lord of my life. You call the shots. I follow you. I have trusted in you. That is how we unite what we hear to what we believe. And the author of Hebrews is just honest with the congregation as I want to be honest with you today. I don't know how long you've attended church and how many messages you've heard, but unless that is united with faith, you will miss 
God's promised rest of what he's going to bring all of those who love him into eternity, into his kingdom, where we experience his Sabbath rest once again as the children of God. And so that's why he says, let us fear, like, let's get serious just for one Sunday. Let's get real serious and take spiritual inventory of what we have done with the messages we've heard so that no one in this room would miss his Sabbath promised rest. As it says in Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in that rebellion. Today's your day. I I have no guarantee of tomorrow. Today's the day to hear and unite it with faith. So how do you miss it? You miss it by only being a hearer and not a doer of his word as well. Now, how do you have it? Because this whole thing is not to pr- produce confusion and concern. What he wants to produce is confidence in Christ. So how can we confidently know that we have this promised rest? Is we've united it with faith. And then there's this interesting passage right here. Look at verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So those who are at rest with God, rest from their works. What is that talking about? How did God rest from his works? Well, back in Genesis 2, it said, he created for six days. There was morning and evening on the seventh day. He rested. He filled it with his presence. He called it holy. Does that mean that God just became inactive? Does it mean that God just became disengaged? Uninterested? Aloof? No, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 on the Sabbath when he's causing all kinds of problems because he's working on the Sabbath, some miracles for people and the Pharisees are all upset about it. And he says, my father has been working all these days and I'm working with him. So what does it mean that he ceased from his work if God has been working since that day as well? What did he, what did he cease working? It was creation. So he in six days put together the heavens and the earth and then he ceased from the production of creation and turned to his active working within creation and that's for us too for those who have united what we've heard with what we believe what we do what do we cease from what's the work that we're ceasing from producing our own salvation We cease from that because we can't do it. As Paul tells us in Romans, righteousness, this rest that we're longing for, comes by faith. And he gives Abraham as an example. I mean, this guy had amazing works of righteousness, and they didn't save him. His faith saved him. And then he props up David, who we also see in our text here. He props up David and says, look at all the things that David did wrong which should disqualify him. But David says, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Because it's by faith that David is saved. It's by faith that Abraham is saved. And it's by faith that we are saved in this room. And so the reason we rest from our works of trying to produce and create and procure our own salvation is because we're resting in the works of Jesus Christ. My security is not based on my faithfulness, but his. 
I rest in his finished works. That's what it means. So all those who have heard and then believe that, that Jesus is their Lord and Savior have turned to him. We rest from works and we rest into his works. We rest in his works. When did you get saved? 2,000 years ago. On the cross. When his work was finished. That's what I'm resting in. Because if you're like me, my faith goes up. My faith goes down. My faith goes all around. My faith goes up. And strength just comes down in weakness and doubts. Goes all around in sin and I get deceived. My heart gets hard. I'm like, oh, Lord, I did it again. Am I going to be saved? And he reminds me, yeah, because you are in the works of Jesus. Because your faith is resting in the faithfulness of his works. That's why you're saved, Thomas. As the biggest sinner in this room, the reason you're saved is because of Jesus Christ's faithful works. So the author says here in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He includes himself in that. I mean, he's a believer and he just says, let us together, remember last week, lean in. We're journeying together, encouraging one another. Let us strive together. I mean, I don't know who's in here that doesn't need, that needs to know of this promise to unite faith and hearing. But let us strive together so no one misses this rest. Let us strive into Asia so no one misses this rest. Let's make sure that we're challenging one another. Let's make sure that we're encouraging one another so that no one misses this rest. Now, what does it mean that we're striving if we're resting at the same time? What's it mean that you cease from work and you're working all these times? Well, think of it this way. All analogies fall apart. Just bear with me. The kids and I, Kristen, have purchased over the last couple of years some like inflatable uh, paddle boards. And we hike into certain places in the mountains, into the lakes with these paddle boards. And then we inflate them. We go to the, you know, the ocean when we visit grandma and grandpa and we inflate them and go out there. It's so fun. It's exhausting pumping one of those up especially at 10,000 feet. And so here I am inflating this paddleboard, carrying it in, and then you unwrap this thing, you roll it out, and then you inflate one, two, multiple boats for everyone to use, and it's exhausting work. And as soon as it's fully inflated, I rest from my work. But do I become inactive? No, what's the first thing you do? You get on the paddleboard! And you get out there and you enjoy it and you love it and you explore the lake and you jump off it and you're refreshed by the water and you're loving it. Christian, that's a picture of your rest. You don't have to procure your salvation. But you take all that energy that you were working for and you say, I'm going to give this now to the enjoyment of what Christ has done for me. To now work and and love him and serve him and enjoy my salvation. Once I was working for salvation, now everything I do is working from salvation. You see the difference? And so let us strive that no one would miss this. So here's what I want to do. I want to turn our attention now 
to just reflection and create space for us to have an honest conversation with ourselves and with God. Our striving is not our own strength. This is the strength that God provides us. And let the words that you've heard today enter your life to the deepest part of who you are, to the truest part of who you are. He concludes this section here by saying in verse 12, for the word of God is living and active. I mean, this is not a dead book that was just useful for people long ago, but it's living and active. It's, it's alive today for you. And then he describes the word as a sword. This is judgment, that we would judge ourselves. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to division in soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That where your heart really is, the word of God would like to access so that you won't miss rest. And the word of God is so sharp that it can get through the hardest heart in this room and will get to the truest part of who you are so that it will reveal to you where you're at with the Lord. But that should lead us to confidence. It ends here. This is great. I love this. Verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him who must give an account. For those who have not been saved by Jesus Christ to stand before him fully exposed of their life could be a terrifying thing. I mean, we wouldn't even do that with one another. But for those who are in Christ, there's no fear. You're at total rest. It's like taking the wrapper off and exposing your life. And what does he see? There's Jesus. There's Jesus all over her. There's Jesus all over him. Jesus lives at the depths of that person. And so what does that give you a picture of? Back to Genesis. That they were naked and there was no shame. Because what? They were at rest with God, with one another, within, the, within themselves and with creation. And here's that picture again. That they would be exposed and be at rest at the judgment seat of God. Knowing all he's going to see is his son covering me. That's the confidence that we have. And so this first song, I want you just to sit tight. And maybe you listen to the words and in the stillness of your own heart, let what you've read here just soak in. Let us fear. Let's get real with ourselves. Lest anyone would not come into the rest as Israel missed it. And then for those in the room that experience the ups and downs and the all-arounds of faith, may we then stand and in confidence sing that his faithfulness to us is our security. It's his faithfulness to us that we rest in. So let's pray. Father, all these Sabbaths and promised lands that you have brought your people through are signposts to the true Sabbath rest of salvation and restoration that our hearts long for. 
And so, Lord, we come before you trying to be as honest as we possibly can. Father, you see us as we are. Help us to see us to the depths of ourself, to be honest with ourselves, with who we say you are, with who we believe you to be. Father, let no one in this room be only hearers of the message but unite what has been said here to faith. And for those in the room who have had faith for many years or few days, Lord, build a confidence in us that we rest from our works as we rest in your works. That our confidence to draw near to you is established in the work you've done having drawn near to us. And so Holy Spirit, be the one that's living and active with your word and speak now into the depths, the truest parts of the women in this room and the men in this room and call them, call them to you. Pray for everyone who is weary and heavy burdened. Would they come to you, Jesus? For you will give them rest.